Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And uh, today is an exciting day uh, because it's Baptism Sunday. And uh, yeah, you can get excited about that. Clap. Start practicing to get exciting about that. Um, Baptism Sunday, if you've ever been to one of those at Phoenix Bible Church, it's a big day of celebration because what we're celebrating when they go under the water and come out of the water is that they are uh, crossing over from death to life. Uh, They're not just becoming a better person, they're becoming an alive person. They're declaring their faith in Jesus publicly uh, together with you. And so uh, we're going to celebrate that after the sermon. And, and maybe some of you are thinking, I've never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized as an infant, but you've never declared your faith publicly through baptism. And we'd love for you to get baptized today. After the sermon, we'll have people in the back for you to speak with, ask questions, uh, dialogue about that with. We have shirts, shorts, towels, places to change. And so we got you covered. And so maybe right now it's even stirring in you that, you, man, I need to walk in obedience uh, to Jesus' command to be baptized. I've never done that before. We have a, a tank back here, and uh, it'll be a, a great time to celebrate with you. We'd be honored to do that with you today. So, so continue to pray about that even as we, as we go through the sermon today. Uh, we are in a, a series called Who Do You Say That I Am? It's a series through the Gospel of Mark. And if you don't know, Mark chapter 8 Uh, It's about halfway through the gospel of Mark, and there's this really important question that Jesus asked his followers, and it's this question, who do you say that I am? And it's not just an important question for them, it's an important question for all of us, right? That answer to that question is the most important answer you'll ever have in your life. And so we're we're taking a, a, a while, a few months here to go through a study to say, Who do we say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? What does the gospel of Mark show us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and how does that affect our lives? Uh, We don't want you just to do that on Sundays. We gave you a study guide that's free, that's really helpful just to walk through each chapter over the course of this series. So take this. If you didn't get one, it looks like this. They're out in the lobby laying around all over the coffee tables and different things out there. Just go grab them. If you're wondering, is that for me? Yes, this is for you. We got this for you to go deeper in your study of the gospel of Mark. Today, we are talking about authority and identity. That's our sermon title for today, authority and identity. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you've seen this authority of Jesus, You've seen Jesus heal people and do crazy miracles and and roll in right off the bat. Chapter 1 of Mark, he has this unique authority. Last week, we saw him heal a leper. Last week, we saw him cast out a demon just with a word. He didn't even have to to touch the demon-possessed. Man, Jesus has this unique authority, but it's not just that he has the might. He has also the right. We see him say things that are crazy in that culture, crazy in Jewish culture, like the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. And he's saying that because he's here, that he's the king ushering in the kingdom. He's the Christ proclaiming Christianity. This was radical, scandalous. He had the might and he had the right, and he declares that and demonstrates that at every turn, and we're only in chapter two, right? We've seen the authority of Jesus over and above his love, which he is loving, over and above his wisdom, which he is wise, we have seen his unique authority. And that's what we see continue in Mark chapter 2, and we see it specifically as his authority, his might, his right intersects 
not just our activity, but our identity. That his authority doesn't just affect our behavior and our our relationships and even becoming a more righteous, godly person. His authority doesn't just affect our activity. It affects the very core of who we are, our identity. And so we're going to see that in Mark chapter 2. If you didn't already, uh, grab a Bible. Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We'd love for you to look at God's word in your hands. If you do that on your phone, that's great too. We always have, just so you know, right, outside those double doors, there's two bookshelves as you're coming in. There's Bibles. Again, if you wondered, hey, is that for me? Can I take one of those? Yes, those are for you. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. We'd love for you to study God's word on your own. But as we talk about authority and identity, I was thinking about it. This week, uh, I went camping with my son. Another dad in our church, we both took our six-year-old sons and we went camping and we went camping a little bit north of Payson at Woods Canyon Lake. And those of you who are visiting from out of state and don't know this, there are places in Arizona that are cold. There are places in Arizona that have pine trees and mountains and it's amazing and beautiful and this is only two and a half hours away. And so if you do live somewhere else, you should move to Arizona. It's an amazing spot, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Arizona is amazing. So we went, we went camping, took our two six-year-old sons out in the woods and just this rite of passage that we're going to have with our sons. And as we start to get settled into the campsite, what's one of the first things you got to do? Build a fire. And not just build a fire for ambiance. We needed a fire for, for heat, for warmth. It was like 38 degrees. And we got two six-year-old kids, right? And so me and this other dad, we start building this fire and just going at it, and it just, it just won't catch on. It won't light. And we start to realize as dads taking our sons on this rite of passage that our man cards are at stake here. You know what I'm saying, dads? And so we're just frantically like trying to figure out like paper. We didn't bring newspaper. We didn't bring lighter fluid. We didn't bring any of the, the fuel for the fire. So we're trying all kinds of things, hand sanitizer. I mean, it got weird, right? Um, <laughs> Just to get this fire going, finally we get some uh, lighter fluid, we get some paper, we get all these things, we strategically place everything up under the fire, and we've got this little teepee of firewood going, and finally, about three hours in, we had a fire. It's amazing. We all lit up. We were all encouraged. We used to be depressed. We're all alive. We're like, we have a fire. It's so amazing. And our kids, of course, are like, why didn't you do this three hours ago? Literally, that's what my son asked me. I'm like... But we were, we were trying. That's, we were trying. Um, but finally we had this flyer, fire and we had some flames. And, and it was interesting to see in our, in our kids' mind, they, they thought, these flames are great. Like, why don't we just do this to begin with? So much easier, right? And so we had to talk about, well, uh, flames need fuel. Right? The fuel is the most important thing. You've got to have that base. You've got to have that foundation. The Christian life is the same way, right? That, that many of us want the flames. All, all of us want the flames, but, but where do we get the fuel? Many of us want our behavior to change. The flames, we're trying to light the external surface of that wood and get a spark, and maybe it lasts for a little while. We, we want our behavior to change. We want the flames of that, but we don't know where to get the fuel for that to last. We, we want the, the flames of better relationships and marriages and friendships and even righteous living. We, we want all those things, and maybe that's even why you're here today. Hey, maybe he's going to give me some steps 
Maybe he's gonna help me dial in my discipline or, or a technique so, so I can be better in my relationships and my finances and my, my sexuality and these surface level things. But listen, unless you get the fuel of identity, you'll never have acti activity that's transformed. Not for any lasting amount of time. And so we all want the flames. Where do we get the fuel? Jesus is going to give us the fuel. He's going to talk about two specific things of how our identity is transformed by him. And as our identity is transformed, as we get this fuel, then we get some flames of activity, of behavior, of relationships. All right, so that's where we're headed. Two key things. The first one is this, about our identity and how his authority affects that. The first thing is this. Jesus has a forgiveness that brings healing. Jesus has a forgiveness that brings healing. We see that just as we roll into Mark chapter 2. Again, look at the text with me. You see verses 1 and 2 as Leanne read it. Jesus is in a packed house. We know it's packed because it says verse 2. Look at that verse. There's no more room, not even at the door. So you got to picture this, right? This is like Christmas dinner and all the relatives that you didn't invite came, right? All the ones you didn't think are gonna show up, show up last minute with their whole family and some friends of theirs that you don't even know, right? And they're all gathered in your house and it's, there's no more room, not even at the door. Like people are standing in front of the door. You can't even get in through the door. It's a, a packed house. And, and why is there a packed house? It's chapter one. Jesus just healed a leper and he touched him, which was religiously unclean in that culture. It was scandalous to do that. People show up for that. Right, just so you know, if you heal a leper in ministry, some people are gonna show up, right? Jesus cast out a demon with just a word. He basically tells them to shut up. People show up for that. And so that's what we're seeing in this scene, this packed house, full room of people. And then verse three, look at that verse. We're introduced to a, a paralytic, a man who's paralyzed, who can't walk. But we're not introduced to him as he walks in the door like everybody else. We're introduced to him as four friends lower this man down into the house. Why? Because they, they couldn't get in any other way. So they lower this man in who can't walk, full house. It says Jesus is preaching. And what I love about Jesus is he isn't bothered by this. He's in the middle of a sermon. I'm in the middle of a sermon right now. If somebody lowered somebody through the roof, that would be distracting at the very least. That would be an unusual way to interrupt a sermon. Lots of ways to do it. That'd be an unusual one. Jesus is preaching packed house. They lower a man through the roof. And immediately, Jesus addresses him. He's not bothered. He's not distracted. It says he sees their faith. What faith? It just lowered them down. What faith? Yeah, they, they knew Jesus could heal them. They knew, hey, we gotta go to extreme measures, lower a man down into a home. Isn't that dangerous? Yes, but we have the confidence, the expectation that Jesus will heal him. And it wasn't just the confidence and the expect, expectation and the faith to lower him down. It was the, the realization that we're not gonna have to raise him back out. It would have been hard to lower a man down who couldn't walk into a house, right? How much harder to raise him back out if he still couldn't walk? They had the confidence, the faith, the expectation. They wouldn't have to do that. That this man who couldn't walk would get up and walk out the door. Right? Jesus sees their faith. 
But notice, Jesus doesn't heal him right away, at least physically. What does he say? Look at verse five. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, two key words, don't miss them, in that statement that are identity transforming words. Son and forgiven. Son, that you are adopted into a new family. He calls him son. He doesn't say, hey, man. He doesn't say, hey, what's your name? He calls him, he declares in that moment, his identity is a son. He's adopted into a new family. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Son, forgiven. Identity, the core of who we are, the fuel, the fans, the flames, words. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's not much else in life more significant than adoption and a debt that's been paid. You ever seen somebody adopt somebody? Adopt a child? Maybe here locally and go through all the paperwork and maybe raise money and go through all the logistics and the home visits. You ever, you ever seen that? Maybe some of you have gone through that. It's a long process. You ever seen somebody go across waters to another country to adopt someone, to again, raise substantial amounts of money, to spend sometimes one to two to three years, and they go and they pursue that child, and they give a child who doesn't have a home or has a broken one, and they give him a new home, and they adopt him into the family, and one who wasn't called a son is now called a son, one who wasn't a daughter is now called a daughter. Adoption, in that moment, Jesus transforms this, guy, this guy's identity just by calling him son. He doesn't do, just do that. He says, you're forgiven. Your debt's been paid. You ever seen somebody get out of debt? Maybe some of you have gotten out of debt. Maybe some of you, and if you know about this program, please let me know, but maybe some of you have student loans that somebody just came along and paid for, right? Maybe the government just decided, hey, you've been a a good student, you got a good career, like you're an example to everybody else that we want to go to college. We're paying off your student loans, debt paid. Is there much, something, is there anything more significant in life than adoption, a debt that's been paid? Those are identity transforming things and Jesus in a moment says, both of those are true for you. And if you step back and think about this is crazy. It's a crazy circumstance. Packed house, guy lowered through the roof, can't walk, and in a moment, Jesus addresses him and says, son, your, your sins are forgiven. No confession. Did I miss that confession? Did you read it? No confession. No context, right? What sins? Like sins of omission, sins of commission. Sins I've already done, sins I'm going to do. No context, no confession. It would be like today if after the service you were talking to somebody else and you guys are in conflict. And I notice that and I walk right up to you and I don't know you and I don't know the context and I don't know the conflict and I don't, definitely don't have a confession from you. But in that moment, I break it up and I say, hey guys, you're forgiven. Yeah, yeah you, you're forgiven. In fact, all your sins have been washed away. Every record of wrong. You look at me a little bit funny, right? Who are you? 
You, you don't even know me. You don't know the context. You don't know my confession. Do I even want to confess? You're forgiven. And people start to wonder the same thing you would wonder if I did that to you. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he can do this? And that's what the scribes say. Verses six and seven, we see some pushback. They say, why does this man speak like that? It's blasphemy. Now, there's a few things to notice about this. One is they didn't actually say this out loud. They questioned it in their hearts, right? In this moment, you have this scene. Jesus is preaching. God comes to the roof. He says, Son's, son, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes, the religious people of that day, are sitting over there, and they're seeing all this happen, and they're kind of just in their head, who does this guy think he is? Isn't that blasphemy? Can't only God say you can forgive sins? But they're just thinking that. They got the little air bubbles, you know, above their head. They're just thinking that. In a moment, Jesus says, hey, hey, why are you questioning me in your heart? Who is this guy, right? And notice again, another thing, the scribes are sitting there. And they're in a house, not a synagogue. The scribes are not just happening on Jesus. Like, hey, we're in the synagogue. Oh, Jesus, you're in the synagogue. We're questioning you in our heart. Hey, what, what are the odds? We would meet each other at the synagogue. No, they came to Jesus in this house because they heard about Jesus. Jesus has been making a lot of hay, healing lepers, doing a lot of miracles, and they show up specifically to see who is this guy? And they start to question Jesus in their hearts. The, the last thing I want you to see about this exchange is this is the first pushback Jesus has gotten. Up until this point, some miracles, casting out a demon. I mean, it was a show. Nobody has pushback. In this moment, there's some questioning that continues, right, all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Why is there questioning? He, he's been showing authority. He, he's been doing lots of things to, to display this authority. Why questioning now? Because this authority that Jesus proclaims and demonstrates is now intersecting identity. It's an authority, not just intersecting activity, what people do, their sickness, their physical condition. It's an authority now that's getting into sins being forgiven, calling someone a son. There's some pushback because Jesus' authority is getting to the core of who people are. And they're thinking, who is this guy? Jesus makes sure this isn't the last pushback because he, he raises it another level. Look at the next few verses with me. Verse 13, we see he went out again, so he leaves that house. After he heals the man, he heals him physically, he heals his soul, he forgives the man, he brings healing bodily and spiritually. But then he goes back out again by the sea. The crowds are coming to him. He was teaching again. And he passed by and he sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. says, follow me. And all we see, like we see in all of the gospel of Mark, Jesus says, follow me with all this authority. Doesn't fill in any blanks. Doesn't give any details. And the person who hears that, okay. Yeah, let's go. And that's what happens with this guy, Levi. So we're introduced to this guy named Levi. We know Levi as Matthew 
who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Later we, we find that out. But this is that guy, and we see about Levi, he's sitting at a tax booth. Levi was a tax collector. And, and tax collectors, if you know anything about that culture, if you know anything about the Bible, uh, they weren't just government employees that we kind of don't like. No offense if you're a tax uh, worker in this room, right? But kind of today, you know, it's just like the tax people call. If, if you get those, those fake calls that say, hey, we, we have to audit you or you have some, some tax fraud that we need to get after you, and you're like, I think, I, I know that's false, but I'm just going to call back the number just in case, right? Because we kind of are annoyed, kind of don't like uh, people that are involved with the IRS and do taxes. That's not this, right? In this day, a tax collector preyed upon the poor, extorted money, had all sorts of petty taxes, even tax loans that they would jack up high interest rates and people would be indebted to the tax collector. They used authority in a completely way, different way than Jesus. They used authority as a way to dominate people, not show compassion to people. And so that's Levi, and that's who Jesus calls. And then what's amazing about that is Levi says, hey, come to my house. I got some more tax collectors that are like me you should hang out with. I got some more sinners that are friends of mine, and we should go have dinner at my house. And by the way, that should happen a lot more. As we're invited to follow Jesus, you've been invited to follow Jesus, and maybe you say, I follow Jesus. A, a correct response would be, go get some of your friends, and let's all hang out with Jesus and talk about him and have dinner together, and that's what they do. We, we see these tax collectors and sinners reclining at the table with Jesus, verse 15, eating with Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Four times Mark says that. Why? As he paints this picture of people in a house reclining at a table, having a meal together. He wants you to know this isn't just anybody. This is not the religious elite. These are the most unlikely and unclean in that society. Tax collectors and sinners, four times. Mark wants you to know that Jesus has a grace that gets involved. He forgives sin, yes he does. But he doesn't stay far off. He comes near. He loves people. Yes, he does. But he also likes them. Right? Tax collectors and sinners. Any sinners in the room? This is about to get encouraging for you if you're a sinner, right? If you didn't raise your hand, you're a sinner because you just lied. So this is going to be encouraging <laughs> for you too, okay? So... This is about to get encouraging. Jesus is reclining at a table with you, eating with you. And listen, not because he was hungry. In that day, you would eat a meal with someone as a sign of fellowship. Now, if you're new to church or new to Christianity, fellowship is Christianese for a party. They were having a party. These sinners, people like you, that have been where you've been, that have done what you've done that have thought what you have thought, that have posted what you have posted. People like you, sinful in their words, in their deeds, in their thoughts. Jesus is having a party with them. He's reclining at a table, enjoying a meal with people like you and people like me. 
because that's how Jesus rolls. He has a grace that gets involved. Verse 17, this amazing verse where Jesus says, it's not the, not the sick that need a doctor. It's not the sick that need a physician. I mean, it's not the healthy, rather, that need a physician. But who? The sick. I have not come to call the, the righteous, but sinners. Verse 17, as he says that, he uses that language, call. It's very specific language. Jesus doesn't just forgive people. He commissions people. He calls them to himself to be with him, to be for him on mission to the world. He's calling people like sinners, not just reclining at the table with them. He's inviting them to join him on his team. He's changing their identity. Right? They're switching over. Tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. You're now going to be sons. You're now going to be on this mission with me. They're going from team sin to team Jesus. It would be like the Arizona Cardinals, their most hated rivalry. The 49ers, any Cardinals fans? Maybe the 49ers, right? Middle of the game, the coach for the Arizona Cardinals, middle of the game, crosses over to the other side of the field, to the other sideline, grabs one of the players by the jersey and said, hey, some things are gonna change today, you're coming with me. We're going to go across the field. I know some of you who are Cardinals fans are just gasping at this, right? The whole center thing, that doesn't really shock you, but Cardinals to 49ers, you're just like, I can't believe this illustration. Grab the guy, comes over. Hey, you have a new jersey. You get the Cardinals jersey. And listen, and in that moment, he doesn't say, but you have to sit down at the end of the bench. Hey, just don't screw this up. I mean, we're okay with you here. Like, you're part of this thing now. You're on a new team now. But just sit a little bit further on the end of the bench. Yeah, right there. Yeah, don't mess anything up. No, that's not what happens. That Jesus grabs somebody from the other team, brings them to his team, changes the jersey, and doesn't put them at the end of a bench. He makes them a team captain. He says, hey, you're going to help lead this charge. That's what he does with Levi. That's what he means when he says, I'm calling sinners. He's he's not just forgiving people. He's commissioning people to be a part of a team. It's a grace that gets involved, that rubs shoulders together with with sinners. Some of you this morning, you can maybe wrap your mind around the idea that Jesus can forgive you, but you can't imagine a Jesus that would want to get involved with you. You can imagine that Jesus, I mean, you grew up in church or you've, you've heard about this even just today. Like, oh, Jesus forgives sins. He adopts people into a family. Maybe my debt's been paid and maybe that's some kind of far off transaction for you. And you can imagine that, but you can't imagine a Jesus who says, I know what you've done. I know what you haven't done. I know what you've thought. You're forgiven. Now you're my right-hand man. We're going to lock arms and do this together. Some of you can imagine Jesus forgiving you, but you don't think he'd ever want to get involved with you. <laughs> I mean, I'll just sit over here on the side of the bench and just not mess anything up, right? That's, that's church, right? I just come every Sunday and just sit in the back and maybe nobody will notice me and I read my Bible and tell people about Jesus and, and get on this mission with Jesus and help declare and demonstrate the love of Jesus. Oh, Jesus would never want to get involved with me. I don't know enough. 
I've done too much. Tim, if you knew the places I'd been, if you knew the things that I'd done, Jesus can forgive me from afar, but he would never want to get involved with me up close and personal. Some of you are there in this moment, and you need to look at this text and see Jesus reclining at the table with sinners, having a meal with sinners, inviting them to become his, his right hand, men and women, to go help others and invite others to come to the table with them. That's what Jesus is doing for you. It's not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's a grace that gets involved. This changes our identity, not just our activity. Listen, if you believe this truth, this will transform the core of who you are. Some of you are trying to go to behavior modification. Some of you are trying to, to change up some things in your life. If I can just dial in this discipline, if I can just get a new technique, if I can just get a new method, yet yeah, those things will come and they're not unimportant, but the first essential significant thing that you need, the fuel for the flames, is for your identity to be transformed. And Jesus does that with his grace that gets involved. You know why I'm standing up here today? It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I, I work for the church. It's not because I went to seminary. That I'm standing in here today on this stage proclaiming this to you because this is the grace that's changed my life. This grace that gets involved, it didn't just change my identity. It transformed or changed my activity, it transformed my identity. That, that I grew up going to church, I, I knew just enough, Jesus would forgive me. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's kind of supposed to forgive me. That's why he died on the cross. Like, like I knew just enough to know Jesus could forgive me. I don't know if he wants to be involved with me. The reason I know some of you can wrap your mind around Jesus forgiving you but it's hard for you to think about Jesus becoming involved with you is because that was me. That was me. I mean, Jesus, the stuff I've done, the places I've been, the thoughts I've had, the things I haven't done that I know I should do, you, you can forgive me, but I don't know if you wanna get involved with me. And then when I was in college, something happened. Some people got around me and they showed me a Bible and I began to read it, and I began to dig in, and I began to see people like Abraham and Moses and David, liar, adulterer, murderer, who built the faith in the Old Testament, the key cogs in launching our faith in the Old Testament. But then I kept reading in the New Testament and saw people like Peter who, let's just be honest, Peter was a flat mess, right? Didn't get a lot right, but Jesus said, hey, you're gonna help me build the church. And I began to read about Peter. And I began to read about Paul who persecuted Christians and killed them, who, who Jesus calls and uses to write two-thirds of our New Testament. And I started to realize that the only holy person that God ever used in the Bible was Jesus himself. 
It's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't just usher that in. That's the story, the meta-narrative of all of Scripture. God has a grace that doesn't just forgive you. It gets involved with you. He invites you to join the team, to lead the charge. That's how he's always worked. That's how he's working today. And so I'm not up here because I'm a pastor. I'm not up here because I went to seminary. I'm up here because I have intersected with this grace. It's changed who I am. It's transformed my identity. It's led to new activity. I've been transformed by that. I will never be the same. And I want that for you. I want what these sinners in this passage are experiencing. I want you to experience that. That's what, that is why I'm doing this. I, I've seen so many people, close friends of mine, family members, people I do run into at church, and I just see this disconnect. Like, hey, you thinking about baptism? I don't know. I got to get a little bit cleaner, get a little few more things out of my life. Like, do, you, do you understand baptism? You're celebrating in that moment as you go under the water and come out of the water. Jesus has already cleaned you that I have nothing to offer, I have empty hands of faith, and I need Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of grace. And I see so many people struggle with this, like Jesus may love me, but I'm not sure if he likes me. Jesus may forgive me, but I'm not sure he would wanna get involved with me. I mean, Tim, look at my life. And then I say just, look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Look at this verse. Jesus came not for the righteous. He's calling the sinner. That grace has changed my life. I want that to change everybody's life that I run into. And I want that to change your life. Uh, this morning, I want to invite you into that moment where that can happen for you. Maybe today you have some activity that needs to change, some behavior, some relationships, some finances, some sexuality that needs to change, some places you've been, some things you've done that needs to change. You need to know it starts with the fuel of identity. You need to be transformed by a forgiveness that brings healing, by a grace that gets involved. So I'm gonna invite you to do that now. We're gonna pray. Would you bow your heads with me as we do that? I'm gonna invite the band back up and we're gonna take a moment. This is what this moment is for. You don't need to be thinking about what you're gonna eat for lunch. You don't need to be thinking about your week. You're in church. This is the undistracted moment that you need. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want in this moment just for you to examine your life. I just believe somebody in here needs to hear this, that there's a grace even for you. That, that if Jesus is calling sinners, you wanna get in line. If Jesus is forgiving sin, you wanna receive that forgiveness. That some things need to be washed clean in your life. And I just gotta believe there's somebody in this room who needs that today. That's why you're here, it's not an accident. And so I would just invite you if, you, if you're a person who says, hey, Tim, I've been in and out of the church, this is my first Sunday, whatever the case may be, I kinda know Jesus would forgive me because I mean, that's what he is supposed to do, but I'm not sure that he has the grace to get involved with me. If you would say that this morning, I would just invite you to, to pray with me 
to pray this simple prayer, Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of your grace. God, I believe that you died and rose again for my sin to bring me to you. You've called me and I wanna join you. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. I give you my sin. I give you my life. If you pray that, you're not just forgiven. You're transformed. You're not just going to get some new activity. You have a transformed identity. If you prayed that, in this moment, God the Father, in all of his authority, looks at you and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, all of your sin, past, present, future, is washed clean. You're in a new family. You have a new purpose. You will never be the same. If you just prayed that, in this moment, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, this is what this moment is for, I would just invite you to have the courage and the faith to stand up, to go to the back of this room. There are men and women across the wall that have lanyards on that would love just to talk with you, love to answer any questions you may have, love to pray that prayer with you, and then we'd love to celebrate this publicly and baptize you today. We have you covered, we got the clothes, we got the towels, Today may be your day. Maybe that's why you are here today. And I invite you, even as we sing, these men and women are gonna be back there for the rest of the service. They would love nothing more. We've prayed for you. You don't even know how much we've prayed for you for this moment, for this grace that gets involved to impact your life, to intersect your life, to transform your life. And at any moment, in the rest of the service, you would just go back and talk to one of these men and women at the back. They'd love to do that with you. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women who you do have here for a purpose. Maybe for some of them it is just to say faith over fear. I'm, I'm crossing that line today and there's lots of reasons not to, but there's, there's a thousand reasons to follow Jesus. And if they would take that step, even now, walk to the back. God, maybe some other men and women in here say, I, I've already done that. I follow Jesus. I, I know he loves me. I know his grace gets involved with me, but I don't live like that functionally as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a worker, as a coworker. I, I don't live in tune with the fact that I'm not just forgiven by Jesus, but I'm called to follow him with him on mission for eternity. And God, I pray that you would just work that out this week in our lives. As we sing songs, we would make some declarations as we sing these songs. We would make some decisions to walk in light of your grace, your amazing grace. Father, help, help us to respond in this moment. That's why we're here. Help us to respond. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.